Welcome to Mahogany Moms Podcast. My name is Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, but you can call me Dr. Shell. I'm here to provide support and education on all things motherhood. Join me every other Wednesday for encouragement, inspiration, and information as we delve into health, mental and physical, education, money, and everything else that comes with this motherhood journey. Hi, everyone. I am Dr. Rochelle Whitaker, educational psychologist, mental health therapist, parent educator. This series is all about moms and their stories. So guys, help me welcome my guest. How are you doing tonight, Crystal? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. So we're going to jump right into it. Tell us about who you are. I am Crystal Terry. I am the mom of a four-year-old. I've worked in human resources for most of my grown-up life. And pretty much I work, I'm a mom, and then I come home to my husband and that's about my life. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. You know, that sounds, it's interesting, right? (laughs) With all the different hats that you wear, there's some, there's some interesting things in there, right? Yeah. So you told us who you were. Tell us about your journey to becoming a mom. So my journey to becoming a mom is actually very interesting because in my early 30s, when I got when I married my husband, we decided that we weren't going to have any kids. And we were really cool with that. We were going to be the couple. We weren't on a schedule. We got to do what we want. It was really, really fun. And then in my early 30s, I had to have a hysterectomy. So then I was like, okay, cool. We're not having any kids, and that's cool. And then at 35, my great nephew needed some place to go. So we got a phone call from CPS saying, Hey, you know, we're going to take your great nephew into custody. Can you take him? And I had already, you know, when since he was a kid, I had already told my husband, like, I know we don't want to have any kids, but if anything happened, because he was never in a stable environment. So if anything happens to him, he's coming with us. And I have said that since he had been in this earth. So they always say, don't make plans because God has another plan. So here we are not planning to have any kids. And then at 35, he needs a place to go. And he's 20 months, not quite two. And so I say, okay, we'll take him in. And my husband was a little hesitant, but I knew I was like, we have to do this. He's family. We have to bring him into our home. And we got them and CPS didn't give us anything. They get, well, I don't want to say they gave, didn't give us anything, but the room that he's in, I was planning on turning it into a closet or extra space for me. And, you know, I, we, I kept putting it off. I was like, no, wait. And we went to look at a couple of things, but we didn't buy anything. So good thing I did it because he came to live with us. And so we've had him since he was 20 months. And we finalized our adoption August 29th of 2019. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. That is such an interesting journey to motherhood because you said, you know, you and your husband had agreed, like, yeah. we're not going to have kids. Yeah. What, what had you thinking or at what point did you decide, okay, I don't want kids? I knew early on that I always tell people that if you make, if I would have made a list of a hundred things that I wanted to do in my life, having kids would have been a hundred and ninety and ninety nine would have been getting married. I had already gotten married. So I was like, okay, I didn't, you know, that wasn't something that I had planned. And so I just, because I'm, 
I'm more of a very, I don't, I don't want to say selfish, but I'm a night owl. I like to shop. I like not having a response. I liked not having the responsibility of being a mom. So it was just having kind of that free lifestyle of being able to do what I want, when I want. And then I will always tell my mom that you, you're a parent, not till the child's 18, but I'm a parent for the rest of my life, you know? And so it's like, you know, if things happen in order, if I, if, if I pass away before my son, then I'm a parent for the rest of my life. And I was like, that's not something that I wanted or something that I necessarily needed. I like being able to do what I wanted when I wanted to do it. I think that's, I think it's interesting that you bring up this topic. I was talking to someone else about this and um, she too chose not to have kids. She got married later in life. And so what made her decide not to have kids or the choice, yeah, what made her decide not to have kids is that she was an only child and she had talked to her mom about having kids and her mom was like, it's hard. She was like, it's a lot of work and a lot of sacrifice. And so she said she just made the decision that she liked being at the time she wasn't married, she was like, she liked her life. She liked being mm-hmm. um, free to do what she wanted to. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then she got married, but she was still like, I'm, I'm not having any kids. That's that's not the lifestyle that I want to have. And I, I thought to her, I was like, someone needs to hear your story because that's so refreshing for women, yeah. um, especially women of color to hear like, you made a choice and it's okay to, yeah. to make that choice. And even when I had my hysterectomy, the doctor didn't want to give it to me because she's like, you're so young. And I said, but I'm telling you, I don't want any kids. And for her, it was hard. And then it was almost like a pity thing when I would talk to people and they would ask, do you have kids? And I would go, no. And are you planning to have any? And I would go, no, I had a hysterectomy. And they would go, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm like, no, I never wanted kids. I'm cool with it. I'm fine. I'm 100% fine with it. And I tell people, I had a hysterectomy and still I have a child. So it could still happen if that's what God or the universe plans for you. Mm-hmm. I think that's um, an interesting choice. So you, you said, okay, I don't want kids. I'm not doing this. And then people, you know, people can say, well, you still had the option, but then yeah. you had the option taken away. Right. To, to birth. I won't say to, to have a child, to birth a child. Right, right, um, right. And so you were putting a seal on that deal. Yeah, I had sealed it. Yeah. But at the time you were married when you had your hysterectomy? Yeah, I was married. My husband and I at that time had been married no more than about five years. So it was something we had talked about. And it was interesting because when I kept telling my doctor, you know, this is something I think we should just do it because of the health problems. And she didn't want to do it. But then when I told her, my husband wants to do this, like this is something that we talked about. And she's like, okay, it's fine. And even in that moment, I was like, do I still not have a right to my body? And this was a, you know, a female gynecologist, but it was like, when I said that we had had a conversation, we had talked about it and it was okay. We needed, you know, this is something that I needed to do for my health. Then it was like, okay, well, we'll schedule it. And I was just like, Hmm. That's interesting that I had to tell you my husband was okay with it, but okay, whatever. That is interesting. It's interesting one because your doctor was a female. Right. Um, but right. That, it took for you to say that for her to kind of seal the deal. We'll be right back with more of today's episode of the Mahogany Moms Podcast. Are you a mom feeling overwhelmed, stressed by your day-to-day task? 
We have just the thing. Burps, Fibs, and Breakdowns is a journal with filling prompts, checklists to make sure mom is taking care of herself, and tips sprinkled throughout from other moms. This is the perfect journal for moms of one or moms of many. To order our journal today, go to MahoneyMomsPodcast.com or click on the link in the show notes. Now let's dive back into the show. Let's talk about, okay, let's kind of like, you know, move through the process. So then you, you hear about your great nephew, I guess, was it in the back of your mind that it, well, it sounds like it was in the back of your mind that it could be a possibility mm-hmm. that you might have to take him. But you also said that your husband has some hesitancy. He's not really big on change, which some men are, some men aren't. So it was like the whole process as as I was having a conversation with someone and just they're explaining the whole CPS process and how they're in and out every month and background checks and this and that. And he just said, I don't think I want to do this. And I said, okay, well, can you tell me why? He's like, I don't want to go through the process of it. And I go, but he needs a home and I would you know, there's really no one else to take him. And I would prefer if he comes with us because we have that room sitting up there that's empty that I'm about to turn into a closet. How fortunate are we to even have that space? Mm -hmm. And so it was just like a push and pull. And I think he saw that it really meant a lot because he did definitely was like, no kids, like, no. And so I think he saw that it meant a lot to me to have him here and he's the best dad ever now. Mm. So he, I mean, I, I say, you know, I tell this joke of I'm downstairs and my, my son walks down the stairs and I go, good morning. And he goes, yeah, yeah, good morning. Where's my dad? And he goes <laughs> in our bedroom, go, hey, dad, you're here. And I, it's just like, I'm just something. <laughs> and but he, they get along I and mean, he's so patient with them. Like he's the best dad ever. And so now we sit and have this conversation and I say, can you imagine what our life would be like if we didn't have him here? And he goes, no. And I know not because I kind of forced him to do it. He goes, I know now why you made me do it. And I know now why it was important. And I say, yeah, you know, sometimes we have to do things that don't feel good. But at the end, they are for the betterment of either us or someone else. And so what kind of want to just go back to this, because we hadn't talked about your husband, but what did you all family say about before you brought your um, your son in what did your family say about your choice not to have kids because you know a lot of times our parents are like we want that grandchild yeah, yeah they wanted a grandchild um I'm my mom's only daughter and she wanted she has granddaughters from my brother but she wanted she's like it's nothing like your daughter having a child and I was like I'm sorry no you're gonna be disappointed I'm not doing that <laughs> and so my um my husband is the only son and they were like don't you want someone to carry on the the terry name and he's like no not really i don't care anything about it and so it was just like we both were just like they were like we babysit and we'll do this and we both were like you guys say that and then you won't do it and then we'll stuck with a baby no no so we were adamant on no there was no amount of pressure that they that they gave us that we we caved and we were just like, no, we're not doing it. So you stood your ground like you all were firm. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. You know, a lot of times we don't hear about the ins and outs of what it's like to a lot of people um, maybe 
to foster or adopt a child, but they don't know about the ins and outs of the process. And it sounds like it's, there's a lot. It so is. Tell us about the process to adopting your son. So we actually, he came to be with us and before he came with us in May, um, two years ago, so 2018, um, we, we were adamant about, we don't have anything. We don't have any clothes. We don't have a bed. We don't have this. And they told us, I was talking to the cashier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Make a list of everything you need. We'll get it to you. We don't have any toys. We don't have this. We don't even have a bed for this poor baby to sleep on. So she doesn't cps doesn't even bring them they send my cousin to bring them and he he's he they bring them with a couple of pampers and some shoes maybe and no outfits no clothes maybe one outfit and so she tells me to make a list and that you know whatever i buy keep my receipts i'm going to get reimbursed because keep in mind this is the opposite way it's called kinship so normally you foster you're taking in like a strange a a, a child that's not from your family Mm -hmm. we were going through kinship so that's a totally different process that they didn't really explain to us so we make this list and we give it to her and then she comes back and goes oh we can't give you anything off that list but by this time thank god we had savings i had bought a bed i had bought clothes he had shoes i had already paid for everything and she goes the only thing we can give you is a playpen and a car seat that's it that's what we got from them no pampers no nothing now if you foster you get that stuff but when you go through kinship you don't so this is right around harvey so they bring them in may we don't hear from anybody for three months Harvey comes and then they call us and go, is Messiah still there? And we're like, yeah, well, we need to come check on him, make sure he's okay. We need to run background checks. And we were like, we haven't seen you guys in three months. No one's called us in three months. No one's checked up on them in three months. They just drop them off and left. So we get that part. And now everybody's like, well, you know, well, you need to get under kinship care so we finally get a kinship work and we're like well are we going to get anything any reimbursement or anything like that but before they had told us that we would and then she looks at me and goes oh how much do you make how much do your husband make yeah we won't give you anything so we went almost a year with no nothing other than daycare and medicaid any other kind of financial financial assistance we didn't get anything. So finally, we did get our foster care license. And once you get your foster license, you're allowed to foster for six months, and then they push you through to adoption. So we got our foster license. And then instantly, they were like, you ready to adopt? And my husband and I were both like, no, we're going to stay foster parents for a little bit longer because you guys didn't really give us any assistance. And then we'll be ready to adopt. So the whole process if you don't, if you're not diligent about wanting the child in your home, it will make you say, hey, you can come get this child. Because mm-hmm. it's just the process of you constantly having to explain to CPS. We had to tell our story to different caseworkers about five times. Like each time we would get a new caseworker, they would come in and go, well, what happened? And who is he? And, and how did he live with you? And we were like, you guys don't share a database. Like all of this information is not in the system. So it's like if you're not, if if he wasn't family, there would have been many times that we probably would have some point been like, well, you could just take them because it was, 
you know, it was a lot and, you know, they're coming to visit once a month and you get two visits once a month. You get one from CPS and one from your foster care casework and they don't try to schedule the visits so that they're both here. That's two separate days. And it's a lot of paperwork and then it's this and that. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, so you move from foster care to adoptive placement. Now you got to pay for daycare. And we were like, well, you guys are not going to give us any assistance for daycare. No, you can apply for NCI, but you probably make too much. So now you have to pay for daycare. So I was like, oh, okay, well, we'll figure that out. That wasn't in our budget, but we'll figure it out. So the system, the CPS system is not made for the kinship side. It's not really made for you to succeed. It's like you have to want to have that child in your home because if it's if it gets to be a burden with all the paperwork and the questions and all that, then you, I'm pretty sure there are some kinship families who like, we can't handle all of this. Like you can take the child back and we'll move forward. But for him, I mean, we were already a year in and he was already calling me mom and, you know, things like that. So it's like, you know, he's here, he's ours now. So we have to keep continue to push through, but they don't make the process easy. It's a very difficult process. Wow. So initially when she, when she asked you if you would take them, she, it's almost like she was promising the case yeah. was promising you things just so you would take him. Mm-hmm. When in retrospect, she knew that because of the kinship that you weren't going to be able to get any of the things that she was promising. Yes. And my husband, I'm more, he's, I'm not going to say he's confrontational, but he's very honest. So he told them that he said that it seems like you guys promised us things so that you can just get them here. And then once you got a, him in a placement, you didn't care anymore. Because it was three months that once they dropped him off, we never we never saw them again. And so they were like, well, no, we didn't do that. He was like, they, she told us to make a list of everything we needed. And we didn't get any of that. And their their excuse was, oh, she, she was new. So she didn't know any of this. And it's like, okay. That's the story you're going to tell me, but okay, I'll believe it. And so, so there was no contact in those three months. So did you have, you had to reach back out to the caseworker to kind of get things going again? No, it was no, it was like right after Harvey, it was almost like they forgot about it. And I had several, they forgot about his case and I had several, because even within the three months, the case had, his case had been passed around to different caseworkers. Mm-hmm. So we would get a, a, a text, you know, oh, I'm your new caseworker, but you don't, oh, I want to do a visit. You never saw, oh, now I'm the, I'm the new caseworker. I want to do a visit. We never saw that person. So his case was being passed around. And so when we finally got a caseworker, she was like, oh, I said, it's been three months. She goes, yeah, because no one really wanted to touch this case. Wow. Yeah. 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 So they didn't, I was like, who knows what I could have been doing to him in three months. You guys, you don't know if he's been eating. You don't know if he, you know, you don't know what's happening in three months, but you just drop him off and leave him for three months. Oh, so that was, that was a process. That's, that's a lot. So I, I am, you know, I'm familiar with like kinship placement, but I, I had to learn that you didn't, that as a kinship placement, that the family didn't get anything. And I was like, well, that's not really fair because yeah. if you're you know, on a child and that was not your, that's not what you were expecting, but you mm-hmm. say, okay, this is the family member and I'm going to bring them on. 
Um, and then it's just up to you to, to make these allowances or to figure out how you're going to pay for all of that. Yeah. That's interesting. But the, what's also interesting is that for three months, nobody was really concerned about them. No, no one was really concerned about them. No one. And then literally it was, he had his birthday and I think his birthday, I remember his birthday being right around Harvey because we celebrated his second birthday here in the house and he just had cupcakes because it had been a storm and I had all ordered all this stuff and I was going to throw him a birthday party. And I remember like right around Harvey is when they wanted to make sure that he was okay and make sure. And that's when they wanted to come in and do the visits and make sure that we had did everything we were supposed to do in regards to like childproofing the home and stuff like that. It was three months in between May and August, the time that they came to check up on him, that no one just, no one checked up on him at all. Hmm. That is so, well, I think I can, you know, it's definitely one of those believable things because you wonder how, you know, what, when things happen with kids in custody, mm-hmm. what happened, but here is what happened. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so what have been some of the highs and lows of parenting? I think the high is I get to see this beautiful brown boy grow up every day. Like I get to see him you know, he's not always happy to see me, but we get to have fun and we get to have conversations and he's very smart and intuitive. So we get to kind of watch him from where he was when we first got him. He, he was, he was talking, but now it's like, people ask me, how old is he again? I'm like, he's four and he can have a conversation with you about Paris and the Great Wall of China and all this stuff because we talk to him like he's a grown-up. So people, you know, look at him and he's just talking and he has so much fun. And he's just, you know, just to see him grow up in a stable environment. I think the low has been just going through the process with CPS and that and just us adjusting to being a parent because we still want to go to bed late. We still want to go to bed at three o'clock in the morning, but we have to be up at eight because he wakes up at eight. So just kind of adjusting our schedule and kind of, you know, moving things or like my husband, you know, since we've been together, he's worked nights. Well, now he works daytime so that he can pick them up from school. So I'm not going to say that's a low, but it's just like you realize you have to make adjustments where you wouldn't have had to make them before. But of course, the highs, just seeing him and, you know, seeing him in baseball and all this other stuff and how excited he is about things. Of course, that outweighs the lows on any given day. So because this was a, a kinship adoption, did he know you already? Yeah, like he had come to the house. Um, so the, his mom is my brother's first daughter. So my niece, my first niece. So she had brought him to the house uh, a couple of times and he kind of knew who we were, but he was more close to my cousins because they were his godparents. So they would pick him up and, you know, they would bring him around all the time. And, you know, I would buy him stuff for Christmas and his birthday. So he knew like me and my husband, he knew who we were. I guess he just didn't know that we were going to be his parents. Okay. So was there any, um, cause I hear a lot of times adoptive parents talk about like attachment. Um, so when he first came, did you all, and this might be different because he didn't know you, but did you all have a hard time bonding? 
No, I mean, we got him that first night. And then the next day he said, I set him on the kitchen table and I fed him breakfast and we got ready and we went shopping and I got him all the things that he needed. So we've already, we've kind of like from the start, I guess, because he had already been coming around. So it was really easy for us to, to bond with him because we, we knew his story. We knew that, you know, she wasn't stable and things like that. So it was easy for us to bond with him because he, had already been kind of in and out of our home. So it was, it was easy. It was like smooth transition. I think he cried one night and that was it. Wow. Mm-hmm. That is awesome. That is a blessing because I hear so many times um, adoptive parents talk about the, just the bonding and how it's yeah. kind of rough at initially. So that was really like a blessing. That yeah. Day. Yeah. And I think too, it's because we got them, um, so young he wasn't even two yet when we got him so we got him so young to the point where you know he doesn't know anything else but us that's you know you know we formed like his toddler years he he know us and so I think that helped a lot too because it was a transition for him it was an easier transition I think if he would have been older it probably would have been a lot harder okay so what do you know now, yeah, after becoming a mother, that you wish somebody would have told you? I think I wish someone would have told me or talked to me about this, not the, the mother's guilt, right? The working mom's guilt, because I, I get guilty sometimes. Like we get to spend time together in the morning because I get them dressed for school and we get to hang out. But there are some times when I get off work late and I work on the other side of town, so I can't make it to certain things. And and so it's it's been it's been hard just knowing that, you know, I may miss a program in school because of work or taking, I wish someone would have told me, Hey, that's okay. If you're a working mom, that kind of happens to all of us. So that's been kind of the hardest thing for me is knowing that I may miss some things because I'm a working mom. I think that's a, a good and valid point because mommy guilt is real. Yeah. I don't think though, it's something that we talk about enough and or normalized kind of is something that I think all moms experience, whether you're, you know, a working mom, or even if you're a stay at home mom, if the, what you're feeling guilty about is different, mm-hmm. um, but everybody has it. So yeah. I think that's a, a good point that you made. What would you tell other moms? I would tell other moms, I always tell other moms, follow your gut. And I always tell them, you're going to get a ton of advice about what to do, what not to do, how to do this, how to do that. But that is your child. And you will know what decision you need to make about your child. Because we are very, you know, in the Black community, there's this big thing about spanking. Mm -hmm. We don't spank our child. We try not to. We try. That is the last resort. It's more of talking, standing in the corner. You don't get your tablet. We And so, you know, it's a lot of people, oh no, I will whoop him. And we're like, but that's not, and coming from his history, that's not always a good thing. So I always tell moms like, listen to your gut because only you will know what to do with your child. Powerful. That's powerful, right? Because yeah. um, you know, if when you're part of a community and there's been a long-standing way to discipline, mm-hmm. when you try to do something different, there's a lot of uh, pushback. Like, right. He just needs, or she just needs a good yeah. you know, spanking, 
And, you know, it's up to you to say, no, that's not how we're going to handle it. Right. But it can be very hard when you have other people weighing in on yeah. your methods of discipline, especially when yeah. you're going against what people have done for a long time. Right. And so it's just that history. And so I always go, if you start spanking a child at a very young age, what are you graduating to? Like, what are you doing when they're 14? By mm-hmm. the time they're 14, you spanked them so much to the point where they, they're they numb to that. So now what are you doing? What are you doing? So it's more like Messiah is very like, all you have to do is talk to him and he'll, he gets it. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer than we like. But he gets it, and then eventually we see it click in, whereas I think spanking is just more because the parent is frustrated. It does nothing for the child. Mm-hmm. Do you think you're at, because when I hear you talk, I'm like, it almost seems to me like you're at, at, a, you're at an advantage, right? Because you didn't ha- have them initially, and so you know kind of like his history. So mm-hmm. you you stop to kind of think about, okay, how do I want to handle this knowing whatever, what situation was he came from? Whereas a, you know, someone who's birthed a child, we don't, we tend not to do that. Yeah. Yeah. I think it, I think it does help that I know his history and I'm able to stop it. Like you say, stop and think and be like, cause I, I also, I remind my husband a lot. I say, and we went through this phase of where we, it was like around two, right when he turned two and he would do this screaming thing. And we didn't know if that was because of history or we didn't know if that was because he was two because we had nothing to compare it to. So we went through that whole phase. And so a lot of times people, we, we took them to play therapy. And so the therapist was like, he's just two. They do that. And so, <laughs> So a lot of the times, even I would say knowing his history is a good and bad thing because sometimes it make it makes us second guess ourselves. So it makes us go, is this because he's four or this because of his history? So a lot of the times we're kind of questioning it. And sometimes me or my husband, he does research. He's like, oh, no, that's normal four year old behavior. And I go, OK, because we don't have anything. I mean, the youngest, his niece is 18. All of my nieces are pretty much grown. So we don't really have any children in our family to like have a conversation of like, is your child doing this? Because mine does this. Is that weird? I don't know. I don't know. So it's like more of like trying to figure out what's just him and his age versus what is history. But I think knowing his history has helped us a lot with parenting him at the same time. Do you think you parent or you mother differently as an African-American mom? I think I do because I'm more aware of how hard it is for a black child. We have to be smarter. We have to be, you know, speak, you know, better. We have to be all of these things that other kids don't necessarily have to be. And prime example, we live in Humble and Humble School District is doing this thing where the kids get out a week of school in February, March, um, October, November, and December. So these kids are out. Yeah. So I was on this this group, and a lot of the parents, they were not Black, were saying, hey, this is a perfect schedule. These kids need a break. And I was like, no, they need to be learning. Like, these kids need to be in school. What are we going to do when they go to college and you don't get a week out in February in college and now you're stressed out because we've told them that getting a week out of school is a normal thing. And one lady goes, 
oh, he's four. You don't have anything to worry about. And I wanted to say so bad. That's not how African-Americans think. Like we think it's school, it's being smart because that's how the world is not meant for them to easily succeed. So we have to start early at saying, look, things are going to happen. You're going to have to overcome certain things. And I think, unfortunately, he's four. That starts at a young age. We're talking about reading. We're already having conversations about, you know, where you're going to go to college. What do you want to be when you grow up? Okay, these are the things that you have to do when some in some other races, they don't have to do that. Let a four-year-old play in the dirt. And that's not our world. Mm -hmm. That is that's very true. You do. I, I think parenting becomes different when you have to kind of parent from the end, from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. Thinking about where you want him to be as a, as an adult male, you know, as an adult black male child in society, as opposed to, okay, well, you know, we'll just kind of take it day by day. Right. Right. No, we don't, we don't have that luxury because you know to be a black male sometimes there's already a strike against mm-hmm. you so you have to think about like we will always have this conversation oh he's going to be something when he grows up and so it's like so now we use like you say we have to parent from us looking in the future and saying what is this kid going to be and how do I get him there you know so so we talked about your parents wanting the grandkids before Messiah came. So now are they like, yes. Yeah. My mother-in-law, my mom passed away before, you know, she was able to see him be who he is. But um, yeah. So, but my mother-in-law and she loves him to death. And so she's like, he's always so smart and he's always so happy and blah, blah, blah. So she loves him and she comes over and then he, he makes biscuits with her. And he, anytime she's, cause when she comes over, she cooks. So anytime she goes in the kitchen, he's right there and they're making biscuits together. And my husband's knees, She's like, that's my little brother cousin. I'm like, that's your cousin. She's like, no, it's like my little brother. She loves him. And so anytime they come over, she's always playing with him. So everybody just like my husband's side of side of the family, even my side of the family too. Um, they all love him. But my side of the family, they already knew, you know, knew so it wasn't a new thing. But my husband's side, they really, really embrace him. Everybody wants to babysit. And I'm like, but he doesn't want to. He, he's that kid that he doesn't want to go anywhere. So I'm like, he, he's not going to go with you. I'm sorry. But if you can come over and hang out with him. But yeah, they, they all love him. Wow, that's awesome. So, I mean, you all are doing something because he doesn't even want to go with other people. <laughs> no, he's I, and we try to just go spend a night and give us a break. And he's like, no, I live here. This is my home. I have a room and I live with you guys. And we're like, but mom and dad needs a break. No, no. <laughs> he won't go (laughs) we try well this has been like this has really been interesting and I um I know that so many people so many moms especially will be happy to hear your story and some of the things that you shared is there anything that we didn't cover that you would like to cover not that I think of I I would want to say to the moms that have going through the adoption process and the moms that are thinking about going through it, it just, you know, create a support system and ask as many questions. And sometimes you're going to have to ask 
99 people the same question before you get the correct answer. But if that's the path you want to take, it's something that you have to stick with and just make sure that you ask a ton of questions and research. Research and ask a ton of questions. Yeah, yeah. Is there a way for moms if they wanted to contact you or to get in contact? Is there, do you have any contact information? You can email me. My email address is crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L dot Terry, T-E-R-R-Y at Hotmail. That's one one email that I constantly check. So if any moms have any questions about what it was like going through this process, when do you get the birth certificate? We adopted in August. We still don't have a birth certificate. So if you have any any questions, you can feel free to email me. Once again, it's crystal, C-R-Y-S-T-A-L dot Terry, T-E-R-R-Y at hotmail.com. Thank you, Crystal, so much. We may be reaching out because we may have an influx of uh, moms saying, hey, we need more information about that or they want to hear more about the whole adoption process. Okay, I'm here. Okay, well, thank you for taking time to interview with us. Thank you so much. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the Mahogany Moms podcast with me. If you like the podcast, please show your support by sharing it and leaving a review. If you'd like to learn more about us, go to mahoganymomspodcast.com. Until next time.